Discussion of Truth, the intro today. Uh, just finished with J.P. Lindstroth. The Paco Reckonings is the name of his book. Uh, we're going to bring on U.S. Army Ranger uh, in, in just a moment here. Uh, you know, I've got to... Um, gotta, I want to mention, as I mentioned the last, uh, the last time here, the last episode, just about an hour ago, uh, these uh, soldier dogs... These are, these are uh, combat-trained dogs, U.S. Army, being left behind in Kabul. Um, and um, this is a problem. So um, that's a story. That's a developing story. The other thing is this. The other thing I want to mention. The other thing I wanted to mention is... Um, hold on a second here. Uh, get this going here. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, San Francisco. London Breed. London Bread. I don't know how her name's pronounced. Uh, <laughs> partially kidding. I think it's Breed. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, a little, little satire there. Uh, paying criminals not to be violent. $300 a month stipend. $300 a month stipend to pay a criminal not to commit a crime. <laughs> I mean, that just blows me away. That blows me away. What, 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 what kind of world are we living in? What kind of country is this? San Francisco. It's like its own. And I'm a California native. I lived in San Francisco for eight years. I love the city. But it's like San Francisco is its own enclave. It's its, it's, its own country. It's its own nation. I mean, the the the, 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 the and, and, and they get their water from the Hetch Hetchy, which comes from Yosemite. They have some of the best water in the country. They have delicious, wonderful, great water. But they march to a totally different tune, don't they? Their tune is paying criminals to not commit a crime. How about um, you know? How about restructuring your education system? How about that? Hmm. Okay, um, Tom. We're gonna bring Tom on right now. He's a uh, U.S. Army Ranger, former U.S. Army Ranger. Let's see if he's uh, standing by. He is scheduled. Bringing Tom on right now. This is Discussion to Truth. And I am the host, Ian Trottier. Hello? Tom, Ian Trottier, Discussion to Truth, sir. How are you? Doing well, sir. How are you? Well, I like the enthusiasm. I'm doing just just fantastic. You have you have us on your schedule, don't you? I do actually. So I just uh, I was actually asking an hour ago. I think that my uh, my team put the wrong time on my schedule, but I do have you on my schedule, and I have all the time in the world for you, brother. There we go. Boom. For listeners, please make please make the introduction. Tell us who you are. My name is Tom Amenta. I am a former Army Ranger, and I'm also one of the co-authors of the brand new portrait book it's a coffee table book 12 inches by 12 inches it's huge uh called the 20 year war in which we take 71 different veteran stories and show america who veterans are what inspired them to serve and what they're currently doing now in this big great beautiful country of ours tom uh what are veterans doing today in your view we've got <laughs> we've got a fiasco would you call it a fiasco what would you call this with afghanistan i, I, I think that is i think that's actually a charitable um, description i would call it a disaster but fiasco works sure it's a total disaster um what's happening let's let's just let's get into that for a moment coming from a us army ranger what's happening just break it down for listeners what are we looking at what's going on in afghanistan I mean, right now, I, I, I honestly, you know, I, there's there's a level of me where I'm still not quite sure. 
Um, what I it's very, very clear and has been clear from the beginning is that the worst case scenario was not planned for, or at least it wasn't acknowledged as a possibility by this administration. In the military, you're taught to plan for the best case, the most likely case, and the worst case. And by giving up uh, Bagram Airfield, for example, which had two internationally rated landing strips as opposed to one that was at Hamidkarza Airport in the city. Um, tactical blunder left in the middle of the night. We did not support our Afghan allies um, and tell them we were leaving. They lost their logistical capabilities, and that was a huge problem to begin with. The other thing is, is that, I mean, the, the entire process of trying to take care of our allies and take care of our American citizens was completely mismanaged. We still have hundreds of Americans with American passports that wanted to get on an airplane that could not get to the airport and could not get out in Afghanistan right now this second. And yet, the administration yesterday in the speech, the president called this, quote, an extraordinary success. Even though we didn't get all of our citizens back and 13 Americans died trying to uh, adapt and overcome when the worst situation was not why why did Biden pull out what what I what, what what I'm hearing is that he ignored some of these high level intelligence mm -hmm. briefings why did he pull out and cause this kind of Saigon-esque type of atmosphere where the Taliban the Taliban has taken over hundreds of uh, tanks helicopters this is US Army billions and billions of dollars of equipment left behind why pull the plug on something so quickly what's his rationale how, how, how... So, so so the truth is is that i don't think anyone's quite sure or at least the administration or anyone around him hasn't given a real and honest answer which when you understand the policy of america of you know open source counterterrorism policy it makes even less sense in his first speech on all of this, he mentioned three major areas of operation. Iraq, where we currently have about 2,000 troops. Then he mentioned Syria, and even though he said we don't have any troops there, that's a lie. We have roughly 900 people there. All of these are advisors and intel collectors along with support necessary to do things for them. Um, and finally, he mentioned Al-Shabaab on the Horn of Africa. Now, the exact number of military deployed to the Horn is a little sketchy just because all of the troops in Africa go under AFRICOM and it's a net number, but we know they're there, right? So we have these three places, and then we have this fourth place, Afghanistan, and yet he, he leaves. And what's, what's crazy is that our allies today, Dominic Rapp, had to stand in front of the British Parliament Committee on Foreign Affairs and defend his actions for the British government. And in that thing, one of the, one of the MPs was just like, and we knew the Americans were leaving. Biden said he was going to leave. He's, he's made it no secret that he decided America was just going to be out after this 20 years. It's like even our allies were like, yeah, we knew this guy was just leaving because he didn't want us to be there. And I, come on, man. Like, you have this consistent policy over here for these three, and then this fourth, you're just going to tell us to leave with no explanation? It's the million-dollar question. Forget the million-dollar question. It's the priceless question because it costs 13 Americans their lives. The 20-Year War is the book. We have Tom Amenta with us uh, right now. Tom, describe for listeners what it was like for you. Uh, I'm assuming you served uh, for the, in Afghanistan. Uh, yes, sir. Tell us, tell us about your experience in Afghanistan. So uh, I have two combat tours, one in 2002 and one in 2004. And for me, honestly, the war was super simple. We had a list of high-value targets that are all directly related to Osama bin Laden, the attacks of 9-11, and we were going to go try and find them. So, you know, it's one of those things where I enlisted prior to 9-11. I just was not ready to go to college, and I needed to grow up a little bit and wanted to jump out of airplane, shoot automatic weapons, blow stuff Fun. up, as all, as all kids want to, as all, as all red-blooded, all-American boys want to do, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, for us, it was a really – there was a very serious clarity of purpose. But what you saw, um, especially after uh, we got bin Laden in Pakistan, was you know sort of continually adjusting and shifting policies. You saw a lot of stops and starts. This question of can the the Afghan government sort of take care of itself? Can it not? Um, and you know, honestly, and I think I could I could probably go on for hours about what I would or wouldn't have done there. But at the end of the day. 
what I come back to is that is how inconsistent the policy that this administration decided on Afghanistan. And as a side note, after I left the military in active in active duty capacity, I got my degree in political science to focus on international relations, which makes a lot of this decision making process even more infuriating to me because the gun geek in me doesn't understand it from a tactical perspective. And then the book geek in me doesn't understand it from a pure foreign policy perspective. It's like, why leave this one place where we're giving it back to the same people that ran it 20 years ago, only have 20 years more of experience, they have better PR, they have better discipline, and they still hate America. Yeah, and now they have American equipment, which is the best in the world, we're assuming. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What? I mean, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, the, the one thing I do want to say is that people are seeing some of the helicopters and stuff like this, and I I have knowledge that the some of the equipment left specifically at Karzai International and some of the equipment at Kandahar for some, some of the Blackhawks and things like that, I can't say all of them, I can just say a lot of it. They purposely seized the engines up, they purposely destroyed it in place, like they knew they couldn't take it out. Mm-hmm. So some of those pictures, those guys like smash windows and stuff, just sitting there trying to look cool, that's all they're going to be able to do with it. Now... <laughs> The fact that we couldn't plan to get all of that out is certainly something the administration needs to wear. But I also feel like it is incumbent to point out that our military is the best, greatest, and most capable in the world and understood that some of the stuff they need to destroy it in place. And there was a level of success to that mission. So they have some of it. There's certainly, I mean, you saw them driving the AMRAPs around today, right? You saw them driving the Humvees today. I'm not saying that we didn't get all of it killed, but some of the really heavy, super dangerous in the hands of the enemy stuff was destroyed in place. I mean, I'm seeing a video yesterday of a, of a Blackhawk being flown with a man, a man hanging from a wire. Uh, it sure looked like the man may have been dead. Uh, you know, like a flying noose or something. Uh, oh, not. So our, our Blackhawks are being flown by these people. Is that true? Well, I... I, so I've not seen that video, and I'm one of those people that if I haven't seen it, I don't feel like it's appropriate to comment on. Um, I have been told that we have destroyed uh, in place significant amounts of equipment, but quote we didn't get it all. So I, it's entirely possible. Um, I'm not going to say one way or the other. That just because I haven't seen it, so I don't feel like I can comment on it. Let's pull back. Let me just let me just ask you a 20 year war here. Um, let me just mm-hmm. let me just ask you, Tom. Uh, this is this is like Vietnam for 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 let's say our generation. I mean, a total uh, uh, a, 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 a war that it seems that you're saying, okay, the you know, I'm not you're saying, we, we as Americans would say, right? We have the, mm-hmm. we have the we have the biggest baddest military on the planet, yet we can't we can't get mission accomplished here. Is is there is there something else going on that's not being revealed to the American people? What do you think? Well, I think the. I, I think that sometimes, you know, I'm a big Occam's razor and it's the simplest form of the idea. And I always go back to define mission complete because if the mission is our, our guys and gals go out and fight their guys because they don't, you know, support women at all in the Taliban, yeah. uh, we destroy them and we, and we have whooped their butt for 20 years every single time up and down that entire country. It's, it's not even a question, but if, if, if mission accomplishment was, uh, you know, keeping the Tal- you know, keeping the Taliban out of power, we failed. But that's not on the military. That's that's the thing. And this is one of the things I would say to every single veteran that's listening, every single person here who has a friend that you know is a veteran, or you have family that are veterans of the armed services that fought in the past twenty terror. Tell them, and if you're one like me, hold your head up high, because in twenty years, when we were there, there was never another nine eleven. Okay, we did our job. We had a very clear sense of purpose, and that was to protect and keep the greatest nation in the world, the United States of America, safe. And we did that Mm -hmm. unequivocally. That's our scoreboard. That's our job. Now, this administration, previous administrations, you know, I've got, frankly, smoke for all of them. (laughs) Okay, like I've got some really pointed opinions for for all four of them that, that tried to crack this problem. I think they're things that they could have all done to improve. But the one thing I can say with 100% certainty is that the American Fighting Service member did their job, and that is reflected in how safe America has been over these past 20 years. How do we, how do how do we how do we move how do we move forward here? Um, and again, I think the, the the question is 
what is Biden thinking? You know, what, what's the, that's, I think everybody's, at least, you know, from, from, from my vantage point, what is the man thinking? What's he thinking? Anyway, it's done. We've got a, we've got a, we've got a chaotic atmosphere. It, it's, it's frantic. It's, you know, what it, it is what it is. Um, now we've, we've possibly got a domestic threat. We've got domestic threats, but now maybe we've got a, uh, you know, how do we, how do we move forward here, Tom? How, how, how do we move forward? So there's there's an there's an axiom in the in the Ranger Regiment that is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So the first thing I want to really impress on people because I was one of the many the hundreds of veterans that were part of movements like um, Afghan Evac and Digital Dunkirk. Okay, the overwhelming majority of these Afghans who left that country who fled in terror are people we know personally. Okay, these are not random people that somehow magically made it through the wire. The overwhelming majority of them, anyway. Now, there is the possibility that bad actors got through. That is, a, that is a fact. That is an unmitigated, impossible to ignore fact. And what concerns me about this administration and what I implore this administration to do is that before they get on that flight from Qatar, before they get on that flight from Germany and some of these other places around the world that we have them, is if we are not sure of their vetting, keep them there. Okay? We don't need to rush this process and see how many people we can move through Dulles for the photo op. Okay, that's where I'm personally concerned. I know that the absolute overwhelming majority of these people are good people. Okay, and the people that I don't know personally, someone else personally knows them and has vouched for them and said, these are good people. That's how they got their visa filled out. That's how they got their green card because they fought and sweat and bled next to Americans for 20 years. I cannot oppress upon your audience that the overwhelming majority of them, of the people that we're talking about, are those people or their direct, and I emphasize direct family. But if you know, as there are reports that we don't have full biometric data on some of these people. We don't have full papers on some of these people. Some of this in the chaos, there's always things that intermix. For the love of God, I'm imploring this administration, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I promise you the people that are good actors, they're not going to mind an extra day in Qatar, not worrying if they're going to die from the Taliban. They're cool. <laughs> they're, they're free. <laughs> they, 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 are, they are away from the most oppressive, one of the most oppressive regimes on the planet right now. They're cool. They'll be fine. Everyone will be fine as long as we are deliberate and as all as long as we make sure. But if they don't do that, then to your point, we absolutely risk a calamity. But that is entirely in how fast the administration tries to do something, and I'm worried that they're going to push off through for a PR thing. Domestic intrusion. Let me ask you this um, again. It's, uh, the guest is Tom Amenta. The book is the Twenty Year War. Let me ask you this question, Tom. Why? Mm-hmm. Why does the vice president? the sitting vice president, Kamala Harris, why did she go to Guatemala and not the border of the U.S. and Texas? Why did she go to Guatemala? Dude, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't... I, the, the, the agenda that, that, that she has for that, um, you know, I, I heard that I think that she was supposed to be in Vietnam like a week and a half ago. Like, I, I honestly have no idea what, what she's doing. I have been so focused on over the past couple of weeks trying to help, you know, American allies in Afghanistan or Americans get out of Afghanistan. And I had no idea because I, she doesn't, she wasn't part of the mission. The mission was to bring Americans home. The mission was to make America safe. And, um, I should probably get caught up and figure out why she was in Guatemala, if I'm being honest, because I guess that means I'm not as well-rounded in my international affairs as I thought I was. But, um, I, I think that that's a, curious decision by the administration to send the vice president you know the number two in this country to central america when the threat to the united states and everything that's going on and the disaster that we have is over in near asia i mean i think that's you know like i i think the question the better question is is who thought that was a good idea like like why even have that as a as a, as a thing to do when everyone it should be all hands on deck trying to solve one of the biggest calamities that the United States has had in the past decade. We've got now not to cross over branch because U.S. Army is different from U.S. Marine, but Stuart Schiller, I believe is his name, uh, recently was uh, relieved of his command uh, mm-hmm. for being outspoken against the the way this Afghanistan uh, uh, deal has unfolded. Uh, to, and I'm, I'm using a little bit of pun here because, right, Biden's always saying, hey, hey here's the deal, yeah. man. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, what's okay. So uh, Schiller, Schiller, I think is the name again. Get the pronunciation right. Uh, releases a video a couple days later, and he says, "You know what? I'm just I'm walking away. I'm walking away from my retirement. We've got issues here in the country uh, domestically. I'm going to concentrate on whatever that means." Uh, I think he says something about uh, you know uh, uh, dismantling the machine or some 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 type right. of a phraseology to that degree uh, and whatever he's talking about, rather running for uh, office or whatnot. Uh, what's in your view, Tom? What's the what's the current state of uh, military personnel? You're retired, but in the military, it's almost like hey, if you speak up, you're being demoted, you're being relieved of your command. I mean, now we've got not to throw. You know, I want you to answer that question, but it's kind of like you—you're also being forced to get a vaccine that's highly controversial. So, so all right, really quickly to the vaccine. I got nine separate anthrax shots and boosters. Okay, and and that and that had about the same level of vetting that the current COVID one is. So guys from my era get really salty, not because we agree or disagree with the vaccine, but because we feel like there's this Generation Z whining of, well, I don't want to do it. Well, guess what? You have the most bulletproof contract in American law. That's why they teach it as an L1 in law school. And if you got voluntold to do it, suck it up and do it. It's got nothing to do with the, spe the specificity of that vaccine because I took nine shots into my arm that burned like hell that they thought might work. Like that's just my personal thing on that one. It's like it's got nothing to do with what the vaccine is or isn't. It's got everything to do with some whining and thinking and somehow get around a lawful order. It, it's 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 a policy level above that. So and, you're saying shut case, up and take it. I, in in this case, yes, because for specific to the vaccine and like I'm not and I'll get back to to the to the colonel in a second. It's just that it's so um it, it is it goes in the face of good order and good discipline. And it, and I thought that the military frankly really mismanaged the process of making that decision. I think that that was a policy, a policy decision disaster across the, the upper echelons. And once it filtered down um, that allowed for a little, a little bit of chipping away at both morale and good order and discipline. And to me, it should have been, the senior commander should have made a decision one way or the other, and that decision should have been turned into a lawful order, and that lawful order should have been carried out. And once that lawful order did become a thing, you are a member of the United States military, okay? This is not, you know, this is this is not unlawful. Um, and that's what bothered me. That's what bothers me, and I, I specify for me personally about that. And the thing that I would say about the colonel is um, I, being out, um, found myself in a certain level of agreement with them. Not all the way, but there were certain things I found myself nodding along at. Um, I feel like there are ways to try and work inside the chain of command if you want to continue your career. Um, he made it very clear that he didn't expect to continue his career, so I think that he had made a decision to be done. And if he had truly decided that he was going to sort of you know, go out on a shield and fall on a sword for what he really felt like was right fully understand the consequences of his actions, I've, I've got to tip my hat to him and say bravo. Um, I, I think that if this becomes a trend, um, I worry a little bit about, again, you know, the military, that good order and discipline. The military functions and is required to be a team. And that means that one team, one fight. And even if we have very, very different opinions, and I assure you in the barracks, all across this country and all around the world, where men and women are serving, there are vastly different opinions. Um, but when we don't put those opinions in forums where we can discuss them, where we can work through them, where we can learn from each other, that's that's the secret greatest thing about the military and why I think veterans are so heavily and intensely involved in the United States, Ian, is because when we get done with that experience, we have seen every all these different snippets and facets of america the great thing about the american experience is it can mean different things to different people all across this great land of ours and everyone's right because that's america we're the melting pot we are the place of freedom and personal liberties and the you know the ability to think um so what worried me about him is even though i agreed with certain things and even though i think it's very clear that he made a decision that he was going to he was going to speak his his truth um and accept the consequences I, I would hope that we could find a way to do it the way that I experienced working it through both my peers 
my subordinates, even my superiors in a more constructive way. Um, because I think that we all could have learned from each other and learned the lessons a little better. I don't know the, the, uh, the, the ins and outs of the relief of the command. And I'm not even sure exactly the critique uh, and the viewpoint from which he was critiquing. But do you think that from you knowing what you know of that situation, do you think that was an appropriate action? Whereas, again, here's, here's he's a colonel, a lieutenant colonel colonel, and he's, he's criticizing. Uh, do you think that's appropriate to say, well, you know what, you're being relieved of your command? Well, I, I think that one of the things I should take a step back is that I mentioned earlier, when you when you sign your contract into the military, one of the things that you actually sign, and they, they make this very clear before you accept your commission as an officer or before you sign enlisted, is that you give up some of your rights. In order to serve, in order to be a part of that organization, you have to accept that the freedom of speech that every other American gets, yours is a little restricted, that you are expected to adhere to an even more rigorous code of conduct, the UMC, the United States Code of Military Justice, and he was, frankly, by the way he criticized his chain of command, which ultimately was the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and things like that, he violated that. Um, and that's why, you know, the phrase I've used a lot is good order and discipline. You've got to find a way to try and work inside that system or, and this is the one thing I did take away from it, I feel like he accepted by speaking out the way that he did, he understood he was in violation of the UCMJ and in violation of those standards of good order and discipline and he had decided that it's worth it which is why i say hey if, if you make that decision and you really truly want to like you know blow your career up for that because you feel like it's that important and it's gonna allow you the pulpit to spread your message ultimately that's america right tip tip my hat to that aspect of it but once you dial it back to the military should he have done it no because it's very clear before you enlist before you accept a commission that there is a different more stringent set of rules for you in order for you to be a part of that fighting force and in order for you to be capable of doing combat missions. And he, he very clearly understood that he was violating that. So one of the, one of the sayings that, uh, that I understand is prevalent within the United States army and likely across the board and all branches of the military, but certainly in the army is, uh, army soldiers bleed army green. What are your thoughts on critical race theory? Honestly, <laughs> um, I actually thought Millie's response was great when he when he said, "Just because I read something doesn't make you know, just because I read Lenin doesn't make me a communist." Um, I think that every facet of the United States is inside the United States military, and I think that if we are scared, if that if we don't trust someone in an academic institution like West Point to read something and then be guided by their, you know, their instructors and their leadership to ask questions. I don't fear the knowledge. Okay. I don't fear, you know, critical race theory, you know, basically boils down to saying that every individual's experience in this country is different and that there's a different experience in the United States because you're, you have a certain skin tone or you have a certain, um, you know, uh, even at this point, like it's evolved to like you know socioeconomic status. Uh, it's not that I have a problem with someone reading about that or trying to ask questions about that knowledge. What I care about is when any form of knowledge, okay, that because knowledge can be isn't good or bad. It just is. Is any form of reasonable knowledge is weaponized, and I feel like uh, the the Department of Defense should do a much better job of. Uh, making things as apolitical as possible because ultimately that's what the military is we yeah. might have our political opinions but at the end of the day like you said we bleed green it's one team and one fight and my problem with this is that people have chosen this to make this into something they've chosen to weaponize a theory that people can read and ask questions about and determine for themselves what they think is true and I think that if handled appropriately I mean I'm a I, I joke all the time. I'm six inches of height and a full head of hair from being the most cliche white guy you've ever met on the planet. I mean, <laughs> I'm seriously, I am. And I understand that having grown up in the middle class and just all the things that have happened to, to me, I have lived a really, really good life. And the guy that was my, that was right next to me, that was my battle buddy in basic training 
was was a black gentleman who grew up in Compton, California. Wow. And at 18 years old, I will never forget this, Ian. Never. We're walking by one of the pistol ranges on Fort Benning, Georgia, on a, on a road march, just brand new basic training. I know hardly anything about anything with weapon systems yet. And the FBI and the and the DEA were on this range for whatever reason. I don't know why they're on betting. I just remember like you saw like their flags. And they were using different different types of pistols. He knew which caliber of gun it was by the sound because <laughs> that's how he grew up yeah okay like so it's one of those things like tying this all the way back he had such a radically different childhood than i did okay i i mean dude i was as close to charlie sheen's character in platoon in 1999 getting into the military as you possibly imagine like you know at the start of it so i don't anyone who can't say that there are differences in makeup and and i think that those transcend gender, those transcend race, those transcend socioeconomic status, we just start in different places in this country. We start with different experiences. But the one thing I will say to tie all, all this into a bow is that I have never seen anybody in the United States, and this is what makes America the greatest country in the world, and I've literally traveled all the way around the world, okay? The greatest country is that if you put your nose to the grindstone and you commit to working your butt off and you perfect your craft, I don't care where you started. You can start at the lowest of the low, and you will rise. You might not get all the way to the penthouse, but you will rise, and you will grow, and your life will be better than where you started. And to me, I really wish politicians would quit trying to sub-segment certain things, and that could be the message is that if you work hard and you apply yourself, this country is set up that you will rise, that you will be better, that you will be a – you know, that you will be – far, far in a better position than you were when you started. The 20-Year War photo book is an eye-opening insight into the lives of 71 incredible veterans of the global war on terror. Tom, speak briefly about these 71 incredible veterans. Oh, man. So just like we've been talking about, the, the book is all branches of service, all snapshots of all different walks of life, what inspired them to serve. Um, we really thought that we were going to find a sort of real consistent thread. And the only consistent thread that we found in this book from why people decided to enlist, what their experience in the service was, what their transition out of the service was like, and then finally what they're doing now is that they all love America. And they all believe in the beauty and the power and the wonderment of this country. That's the thread. And, you know, we were super proud to be able to tell these 71 stories. Well, uh, I thank you for your service, and I thank you for writing the book. I want to get one last uh, viewpoint in from you, Tom, and 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 we've 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 gone from it's almost a, it's almost a, a total paradigm paradigm shift in in, in D.C. from uh, from a Trump White House to uh, uh, to a to a Biden White House. Uh, what happened in your view on January sixth? Oh, I I think that was an insurrection. <laughs> like your your audience isn't going to like that, but. They might. Anytime you, you know, any, any, anytime, anytime you look, I am all for a protest. I am all for the redress of grievance. But the minute you start breaking windows and, 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 and parading yourself into the Capitol, you have fomented the wrong stuff. Now, how we got there, what, what led up to that, you know, that you and I could do another hour on. But the minute that you, for lack of a better term, crossed that Rubicon, there were, I mean, Ian, come on, like, let's be honest brokers about this for a second. There were people that pulled the American with the Trump flag. Okay. This is one of those things that I just, I don't want to hear it. That's crossing the line. Okay. You want to be mad that your guy lost. I have been snail spitting mad that my guy has lost elections. All right. If you want to, if you want to say that you have a problem with the way things are going in America, I think that we have conclusively proved that the Biden administration was probably not up to the task. And I'm putting that lightly, right? <laughs> Afghanistan, he's demonstrated that. Okay, like he was not up to the task of this withdrawal in Afghanistan. And anyone who wants to argue that point against me, I think you're a moron. But the but if we're gonna be honest brokers, like the minute you think it's a good idea to take the stars and stripes down and replace it with anything on the Capitol building, I'm sorry, but none I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it. Absolutely. That, that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I get the anger. I get the frustration. I get the upset. And I get that people want to stand for their belief. And I, again, I respect that. That is part of the thing that makes America so great. But the minute you pull my flag down, screw you. Right. No, I don't want to hear it anymore. 
you right. you have crossed a Rubicon, and yeah, you you deserve you deserve those steel bracelets, man. Like protest that rally before that, all good. Do that all day. You you want to you want to chant. You want you want to do those things. You want to be out in the street. You want to be active. You want to organize. You want to vote and make your voice heard all day. But there are some things and there are some lines you just can't cross, and that was one of them. Don't mess with the flag, dude. Amen. <laughs> Amen, my brother. Stars and stripes. Um, and you know, that, and, and, look, I mean, not, not to not to not to get into this as well, but uh, you know, you kind of see it on both sides with the burning of the American flag. And and I don't want to go down this road, but I'm just going to mention it for listeners as it's probably coming to their minds. Uh, the you know, kneeling for national anthems. This is a whole other discussion. Uh, but but that kind of uh, dichotomy that we're also seeing from both. You know, so we're seeing it from both sides. It's uh, but like you say, it's 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 all about uh, agreeing to disagree. Uh, Tom, uh, give 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 listeners some closing comments, some closing thoughts. What they can expect from you, uh, where they can buy your book, where they can find more information about you. So the book is at 20yearwar.com for all my uh, my Marine friends. I love you, boys. You're the greatest devil dogs, but you do have to spell out 20. All right? So 20yearwar.com is where you can find the book. It's a gorgeous photo book. You'll love it. Um, if you want to find um, the, the company that we helped create in order to promote it, it's weareunitedvalor.com. Um, you'll find the, the long-form podcast where we dive really deep in some of these individual veteran stories there. Um, if you want to, if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm at Tommy Amenta. Uh, you'll get to see a really, really fun thing that happens when crazy people care more about animals than they do humans, but that's another story. And, uh, yeah, that's where you find me. Well, it's interesting you said that because I opened up the show with a uh, Gateway Pundit article that's saying that a, uh, a 40-something uh, service dogs have been left and abandoned at the Kabul, Kabul airport. Yeah, I am not liberty at liberty to discuss that right now. <laughs> have, have have me back, and maybe that's a story we can tell. But right now, I am not at liberty to discuss that. I'm not trying to be super weird, but just take that one for what it is and leave it there. Tom Armenta, lady and ladies and gentlemen, Tom Armenta, uh, Tom. Until next time, thanks for joining the program. All right, thank you so much. Uh, okay, so so it sounds like uh, it sounds like Tom's got some it, it definitely got some some comments he'd like to make in regards to uh, these these service dogs. It, 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 I, I didn't ask him, assuming perhaps he has uh, some some experience to some degree to some level some interaction somehow perhaps with service dogs. But that's that's ex- that, look look that's exactly how I opened up the show. I started talking about that. I was talking about that last hour before J.P. Lindstroth. I was talking about that. Okay, uh, and that's uh, yeah, that's exactly where he went to close down. Uh, yeah, don't leave dogs. Don't leave animals. Animals are uh, precious. You, you, you know, I mean, respect animals. Uh, you know, you get into a, you get into the, uh, you get off the coastline with a surfboard. You see a shark. Yeah, the shark's going to want to eat you. Uh, because he thinks you're a seal. That's that's a different that's a different thing. But but you have trained, you know, we have domesticated cats and dogs. Okay, there are many animals that we, as a human race, have been able to domesticate. Dogs uh, and cats. Dogs uh, are productive in ways that cats are not productive. Cats are productive in other ways, right? They're different. They're different animals, different beings. But dogs takes a lot of training. I don't know anything about it, but you take a, it takes a lot of time and effort to train a dog to sniff out corruption, to sniff out whatever it's trained to sniff and recover uh, or destroy. Um, that is just as valuable as a human being, if not more valuable, because a human being can't do it. So, so you know, different. There's a, there's a, there's an entire level of invaluableness. That's a word uh, behind a, a dog, and and those should not be disre- disregarded, um, because it's 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 the same as disregarding a soldier, in my view, um, and certainly a tank or a helicopter or billions of dollars of military equipment um the 20 year war oh look we opened up the show today last hour with jp lindstruth and on the cover 
boom, of the book of poetry that JP has written for us, Hurricane Katrina. And what do we have right now? Another massive hurricane. Was it 16 years later? Another massive hurricane plowing into uh, Louisiana. Uh, Timing's right there for JP. Timing is right for Tom in the release of this book, Uh, The 20-Year War. Now, uh, the 20-Year War uh, has two other authors, authors, Dan Blakely and Bo Simons. So Tom is one of the three. Urge you to read the book. And from my point of view, from my point of view, I never served in the military, and I've, I've, I've expressed the reason why. I frankly do not believe in violence. I think it's a very weak form of thought, okay? Because everything incepts in the brain, and then it trickles down through the arms and into the hands and fingers, and it becomes an action, if it becomes an action, right? So uh, mili- uh, uh, violence is, is a very weak form of um, or, uh, result of, of an argument or a disagreement, I think. I think it's, I think it's a form of, of weakness. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it is a fact of life, and it's not going to go anywhere. So, do I have a problem with a massive military? Absolutely not. Do I lock my door at night? Absolutely. Uh, will I lock my door? Do I lock my door before I go into a grocery store of the vehicle? Absolutely. Um... Do I own a gun? I do. But that's of recent. Okay, I haven't always owned guns. Uh, I was given a gun once uh, for hunting, deer hunting. But uh, for self-defense, that's only of recent. Um, uh, Again, I did not join the military for that, for two reasons. One is that I believe violence is a weak form of, uh, of, 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 a product of, of a disagreement. Okay. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not a small human being. I'm not, I, I can defend myself. Um, uh, not that a small human being can't, but I'm capable of defending myself and it is what it is, but I never joined the military for that reason. And the other reason is I felt like when I was in my early twenties and that was around two, the year 2000, uh, I felt like uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars were simply bankers' wars. I, I did. I did. I felt like it was an inappropriate use of the military along the lines of Vietnam. Okay? I felt like there was something hidden. I thought there was something a little deeper, dirtier going on here economically there. And I still retain that. I still argue that. Uh, um, Al McCoy. He wrote uh, an entire thesis for his PhD at Yale on the uh, Golden Triangle, the opium trading in uh, Far East Asia, which links to Afghanistan, which which links to Vietnam. Uh, CIA knocked on his door, asked for the manuscript. He said no. Uh, I'm not sure if they arrested him or not. I remember the story. It's been a number of years since he joined the program, but he took him to court. He won. It was his own research. The censorship is what is a concern here. Okay. Uh, A la Anthony Sutton. And and he is the backbone of the reason I do what I do. Which started in 2016 in Miami Beach because of the Zika virus and the pesticide being used in the uh, association and uh, financial manipulation. I'm saying manipulation. Manipulation of the Zika uh, uh, via the Rockefeller Foundation. Follow the money. Seek and destroy. Seek out corruption. Destroy it. Follow the money. That's what I've done, what I do now going on five years. And um, I believe in self-defense. I certainly do. I believe in a massive, strong military. I support every single veteran that served. Period. I'm not one. I don't feel bad that I'm not one. Uh, and I've given the reason why. Because I don't believe in violence. I will defend myself. Uh, but I do not support what I view as a banker's war. 
uh, getting involved in uh, another country's natural resources to physically take them over is exactly why I felt the intent of Iraq happened. It was a continuation of the Gulf War uh, from what was the early 90s from George uh, uh, Sr. That's how I saw it. That's how I saw it. And, I, and, and, the, and, and the, so then you have to consider terrorism. And, 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 and were the British or these other countries, are they secretly financing the other side to create an enemy? Well, that's where we get into Anthony Sutton, right? That's where we get into the Hegelian dialectic and all roads lead to Rome. Oh, boy, there's that God thing again. Oh, Ian, uh, getting into religion. Uh, avoid religion. God. Look, folks, here's a fact. If you can manipulate a person's belief and theology and practice on God and definition of what God is, then you can manipulate every aspect of their life as we have seen for hundreds of years case in point the country of mexico which the spanish initially named mexico with a j but it, but uh, it got changed to mex mexico to co-align with the source of the world which was the mexicas okay yeah, thinking mexico because I, we read the poem with jp lindstroth the, the mexica um, the Mexicas, which is a tribe of the Aztecs. Mexico, Mexico. Uh, so anyway, so Mexico. Uh, this is a country that mandated, this is a, uh, being Spain, that mandated, this is a colonial power, that mandated that the natives practice, preach, live, theologize, whatever it may be, their religion. If they refused, their manuscripts got burnt, their history got burnt, they were burnt themselves and they were destroyed. That is a problem. And they did all that crap in the name of God. Okay? God is a big problem in that in that regard. Religion is a big problem and continues to be a big problem. Just look at the Taliban. So, in my view, why is this country so great? Pilgrims. Religious freedom. And with that comes all sorts of other freedoms, like what I'm exercising right now, freedom of speech. Agree to disagree. Like Tom just said, it's a melting pot. No other civilization ever, from my history books, have, has ever been able to write a more perfect, cohesive governance than is what we find today in the U.S. Constitution, which we've inherited. We must stand up. We must stand up. I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, uh, Green Party. I don't care what your political affiliation is. None of these political parties existed in 1776. You must defend the U.S. Constitution. You must defend that flag. I agree with Tom completely. We didn't have a king. I, I didn't. I didn't realize this happened. That that, that someone replaced the. I, I didn't realize that would happen. Someone. 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 Whether it's Antifa, whatever it's whoever it is, BLM or what you know, it's Trump supporter or whether it's I don't, I don't know. The American flag should never be replaced with another flag. Period. From coast to coast on this soil. That's my view. That's my opinion. You replace that flag. That is tyranny. We don't have kings. We don't have queens in this for a specific reason. That's exact reason. Okay, so uh, bantering on a little bit here myself. I appreciate you listening. Um, next week, Tom Hartman. The Hidden History series from Tom. The Hidden History of American Healthcare. Ed Asner. I would gladly follow Tom Hartman into hell. I'd be unafraid because with Tom there, I'd know the devil's minions couldn't touch me. He's a, no, he's, he's a great, he's a best, uh, New York Times bestselling author. He's a great researcher. Uh, it reminds me of Gerald Posner. I haven't spoken to Gerald in a while, but Gerald joined the show. Uh, he's written, uh, talking about all, all roads lead to Rome. Uh, outside of attacking the pharmaceutical industry. Which he, which is what's his most recent book, uh, attacking big pharma. Uh, what he has done is he has written other books, and one of them is titled "God's Bankers." <laughs> oh gosh! I mean, do you realize, do you realize that the corruption within the Vatican itself? 
Of course, the Vatican predates the United States of America by centuries and centuries and centuries. Realize that the Jesuit organization, which has been banned historically from many countries, but the Je Society of Jesus organization within the Vatican, they're called God's Marines. Oh, hold on a second, Ian. Hold on a second. Where are you going with this? Mexico? Yes. Los Conquistadores. Oh, boy. What was, it? What was the name of the treaty? 1492? Uh, let's see. Well, literally, literally, the Vatican divides the globe in half. Gives half of it to the Spanish and the other half to the Portuguese. I mean, I've got to dig up my researching and give this a you. You can go from I can give you enough information. You can find it yourself. And that's exactly what these conquistadors were. Uh, yeah, they're killing. They're killing. They're, they're conquering lands in the name of natural resources, in the name of God, and they implement their religion. And they're destroying any any history, any person that doesn't agree with them. Does this sound a little bit like what's happening in the United States right now under the guise of Antifa and BLM? Absolutely. George Soros. Okay, there's a little more food for thought. The Rothschild. Again, so if you understand where I base all of this information on, it is Anthony Sutton, a British-born historian that served at the Stanford Hoover Fellow Institute. And as he gave a speech in Miami Beach in 1972, he was reprimanded for it. Do not talk about Prescott Bush financing the Nazi regime through Union Bank. Do not talk about the Bolshevik Revolution being financed partly by Wall Street. That's exactly what Palo Alto said to him. So, well, this is early 1970s. If you're going to censor me, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to publish on my own. And he did. He published on his own. He published with, with Trine Day. So, Freedom Reserve, No More Lies, Trine Day will be releasing soon. Uh, for those of you, I know it's been on pre-order. People have pre-ordered it, waiting for their copy. Uh, it's, you know, some of these things do take time, but it is coming soon. And um, folks, until next week with Tom Hartman, thanks for listening. Pass on, pass this on to a friend. Pass this on to a family member. Um, if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else with your day other than support the U.S. Constitution and make America can a continued beacon of freedom for every walk of life on the planet, um, if you do nothing else, do your best to simply be awesome.